Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am really excited to share today's episode with you, mainly because I have to admit I'm a bit of a nut butter fanatic. I love the stuff. It doesn't matter if it's peanut butter or almond butter, cashew butter, if it's smooth or crunchy. I really love it all. And there are different brands in the UK than there are in the States. So when I moved here, I had to do a bit of nut butter exploration. I did a lot of tasting, which was not a shabby task, I might add. And the brand that has most consistently been in my pantry since I moved to London is Pip and Nut. This is such a keep it quirky company, and here's why. This company was founded five years ago by a woman then in her 20s named Pippa Murray. The major UK newspaper The Independent wrote that Pip and Nut is, in the UK, and I quote, arguably the brand that kicked off the nut butter revolution. Pip and Nut forced more established brands to up their game and spawned a series of competitors. End quote. So I was thrilled to have the chance to sit down with Pippa herself and hear about her journey to becoming the UK's nut butter princess. As a proud theater nerd myself, I was so excited to learn that Pippa started her career in the creative arts, working as a producer in theater at the time that she began her nut butter side hustle. Pippa shares how rewarding it was to start this business, the feeling of excitement that came from selling her own recipes at the local market, and also how her brand has developed over the years, the learning curve it's been to scale up, and what it's like to product develop for the masses. And something that is increasingly important to me in the products I buy. We talk about how Pip and Nut is responsible and sustainable about where they source and how their efforts are towards doing good as a business. Pip and Nut not only has a range of nut butter flavors, but they also produce nut milk. They published a cookbook and there's an event angle too. They put on nut butter-tastic events all across London. So now here is Pippa Murray, founder of Pip and Nut. Pippa Murray, hello. Welcome to the Keep It Quirky podcast. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for having me to your really cool, like, startup vibes office in East London. So tell everyone where we are. Um, so we're actually, we're in Spitalfields, and it's actually an old sewing factory, the building. So it's really beautiful. We've got kind of like lovely um, white tiles and kind of the whole space has got all the original features. So all the lampshades and stuff like that are from the original sewing factory. So, so this entire building was a sewing factory? Yeah, yeah. And then they've cool. chopped it up into different offices and, and we've got one on the second floor. So yeah, it's a wicked location just opposite Spitalfields Market. Um, you'll hear the sirens behind us. It's on a busy commercial road. So um, but yeah, it's an amazing location. Yeah, really bustling. In the hub of everything, basically. And how long have you been here? Um, So we moved in about a year and a half. So it was our sort of first proper office that actually had windows, which was a massive perk at the time. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it's just a great space to be in. It was super light. It's kind of got warehouse windows. And so it has a real kind of startup vibe but just a nice creative space to be in I think you know we're a young team so it fits us from a culture perspective and um let's also talk about the the third life in this room right now Charlie your dog yeah so Charlie's um roaming around he's a bit of a shadow at the moment but he's a um sort of 10 month old cavapoo puppy who 
might occasionally bark throughout this interview so um you might hear him rustling around in the backdrop i love charlie he's so friendly and i love just offices with pets too i feel like it sets immediately a vibe of i don't know friendliness mm, you know i think they're like quite therapeutic actually so yeah. if you're having a bit of a tough day it's kind of quite a nice feeling to like cuddle the dog for a bit yeah um, yeah he does he like welcomes everyone into the office with kind of sort of needy attention seeking <laughs> activity so yeah it's sort of our, he's like our office receptionist if you like totally totally charlie's a great receptionist <laughs> and the room that we're actually in is a full well-lit big meeting room and on one end of it is sprinkled with all of the awards you've won or at least some of the many awards that you've won and before i jump into all of that i am so intrigued by the fact that you started your professional career in theater as a theater producer right yeah so I'd um, studied anthropology at uni and always sort of thought I'd go into kind of like the creative arts kind of museum world Um, and that's where I spent like the first sort of four years of my career Um, personally just loved um, like the London for the fact that we've got I think some of the best museums and art galleries in in the world here are you from London yeah uh, no I'm just outside London Reading Um, but yeah, and I'd always kind of been interested in terms of from a way how you educate people through um, the arts and kind of bring bring people together. So I've worked in several different kind of creative arts kind of galleries or um, uh, kind of theatres and I was at the Science Museum when I came up with the idea for Pip and Nuts. Um, and you came up with the idea because in addition to loving the creative arts, you were a big runner. Yeah, so I'm, I'm still a runner and I, I do do a fair bit, but probably not as much as I was back then. But yeah, at the time I was training for loads of marathons. It was a bit of a addiction I used to do. Um, you know, I think so far I've done sort of eight marathons and loads of half marathons. Wow. So yeah, so running for me has always been like a passion for me. It's and actually continues to be something that I really use to kind of get sort of headspace and kind of get outside and see see the city that I live in. Um, I think London's like a big playground when you when you run around it, really. Um, but yeah, the idea behind Pippinat came about through, I guess, I was training a fair bit at the time for the Paris Marathon and peanut butter and um, nut butter has been something that I eat a lot but in particular I was eating quite a lot of it as like a post-running treat and you know it is a brilliant kind of product because it's high in protein it's in, got loads of really good fats but I think the thing that at the time I most cared about was like it's just like so delicious and addictive um, so it always felt like a really good like reward at the end of a run um, and yeah so I was kind of getting through loads of the stuff and started to kind of look a bit more closely at the products that I were, was buying and sort of started to notice the ingredients that are in there things like palm oil and sometimes I had sugars and you know for me just felt actually you know I'm more health conscious I'm not a health freak by any sense of the uh, word but um kind of cared about what I was eating at the time and felt that you could definitely simplify this product um and make it much more healthier and a bit more um, sort of better for you generally and what year was this um so i was 24 at the time so this was uh 2013 wow so you're 24 years old in 2013 the nut butter scene was not what it is today right so you saw a void in terms of like wait i am not finding any nut butters that i want to eat <laughs> yeah and things like almond butter wasn't really they weren't in any sort of mainstream stores so 
Um, but I'd been uh, to the to the US a fair bit and noticed that, you know, when you go out there, there's like loads of flavors, those are really exciting brands, um, you know, innovation that things in like almond butter, cashew butters, pistachio butters, all in kind of big stores like Target, Whole Foods out there. And I just felt that there was a massive gap here. Like, why wasn't that in our sort of Sainsbury's and Tesco's over here? You were 24 years old, which is quite young to start a business and even to have the idea, oh, I'm going to start a business like like this versus like, oh, down the line, I might do that. Like what, what inspired you to stop what you were doing and, and make this happen? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I've always had like an interest in food generally, like I've come from a big family, um, from an early age, I used to cook for my family. Um, and I think for me, you know, I, I just really loved and I, I don't really know why I spent so long in kind of stores like Whole Foods. But when, whenever I went in there, I was just like so inspired by all the different products that you could get there. And I think for me, it started to kind of um, become more than just a kind of side project of kind of visiting markets and kind of observing what was happening in kind of like kind of the food trends in London. And I'd actually started a blog at the time, which um, no longer exists, but um, where I kind of used to create different recipes and put them on my own blog and stuff like that. So it'd been kind of bubbling away I think for a couple of years that food was something that I had like an interest and I think it you know it's hugely kind of creative when you look at markets and street food and all that stuff that's coming you know was emerging at that time so Um, your past life and your interest in food and by past life of course I mean like being in the creative arts yeah you do see the two things as going really hand in hand yeah and I just think I mean everyone I think has kind of side project or not everyone but you know I had like some side projects on the back burner and although I had like a career in one area you know still relatively early on in my my career generally um and I just think like I used to buy like brands like Innocent and and things like that and I think looking at the stories behind some of those brands just happening to kind of read up on them I was just like this is really cool like actually all the most people that start up a food and drink brand if you ask them normally start some in their kitchen probably go to a market and for me it felt like actually something that was quite accessible um genuinely something that I could do and I kind of felt like well if they do it I I probably can I can probably give it a go um and that's that's exactly how you started right with a blender and some nuts in your own kitchen (laughs) in London and then you started selling at Maltby Street Market Mm -hmm. and how did that go what was that experience like yeah I mean I think selling at markets can be a little bit romanticised. When you go and visit them, you're like, totally. oh, it's so lovely. Like, everyone is, like, it feels like such a community vibe. Um, but I have, like, massive respect for market um, sellers because it's really hard work. You get up so early to set up your stool. Um, you're normally making the product by hand yourself, um, which I was at the time when I was selling at Maltby Street. So I'd be, like, making hundreds of jars, like, packing them all myself and um, driving my van down from North London to South London to set up whilst also doing my day job and um you know wow, my, you were doing your day, day job at the same time so it yeah. really was a side hustle yeah evenings weekends um I went part-time eventually but yeah it was very much done outside of like what I was already doing but I think for me like the market was a testing ground you know like like I said I wasn't in this industry I didn't even 100% know whether or not people would actually like the product I was making and I think that you know, you need to somehow validate it for yourself, not even, and also for the customer, like, do they actually want to buy it? So I think for me, it was like the dipping my toe moment of like, am I really going to go for this? Do I have the confidence in myself to be able to, you know, 
genuinely quit my job and and try and scale this product. And um, so obviously the answer was yes after yeah. that. So what what were some of the experiences you had then that did make you feel like okay I can do this? Was it feedback from customers like oh you're not butter so delicious? Yeah. What kind of pushed you into okay I'm gonna dip dip my whole foot in now? Well I think there's a couple of things. I think firstly yeah customer feedback is amazing. Like markets are so good for that kind of instant feedback that you get. So of course you get people that will try and like turn their nose up at it and like literally tell you to your face they don't like it, which is also (laughs) actually quite useful. Yeah, I guess so. Um, But just every week we'd sell out, like genuinely, um, we couldn't, you know, I was making, I think like 300 jars to sell during one day of a market store and every week they sold out. And I I just felt there was just something in it. The reactions that I got from it um, was just enough to kind of give me that kind of like buzz to be like, yeah, I really enjoy this kind of like literal like trading um and and I think as well like you get a bit of a taste for what it's like to actually run your own business I mean you were I was doing it I guess at a micro scale like I was in a really simple way like running a small supply chain uh working out the sales margins and you know talking to people I had my own twitter and all that stuff it was all kind of a really small micro version of what I was doing what we're doing now and I kind of just loved the autonomy I thought it was just so rewarding and um gratifying like the first person that tweeted that they were having it for breakfast was like honestly like I was so excited and it was just that feeling of knowing that actually if you scale this product people like hundreds of thousands of people could be eating it every day um at their breakfast table how similar was that first recipe to the yeah and by the way outside I think there's a little drilling happening is that yeah <laughs> yeah stuff. like we said we're we're in the hub of of cool things happening in East London so but okay the nut butter mm-hmm. that you were selling at the market was it just one was it just peanut butter was it just almond butter and how different is that recipe from what the recipe is now so I think I developed six recipes at for the market store um, of which four are still existing in our product range now so we I had a kind of peanut butter almond butter a coconut almond butter and a and a maple peanut at the time and we also has some cashew butters which um, aren't in our range anymore and to be honest they're actually pretty similar I did actually during the market still constantly tweak and refine the recipes so I was playing around with different oils or different coconut and things like that to kind of improve the flavour and I'd say actually as a business because we understand a little bit more about the raw materials going into our products and than I did when I was just selling it at market store I think our products are actually better than they were when I was there because we actually source really specific nuts now because we've chosen them because the flavor of them are really good so we use like hyalic peanuts which sounds a bit nerdy but they are from Argentina and they're really beautifully sweet they're really high in sort of monounsaturated fats and they're a better quality than what I was selling when I was back then so I think um what I quite like as a as the business has grown is you get to really drill down into the, the detail of what a product is and actually product development is such a science and an art it's like yes you've got to have a really good safe product that is good quality for everyone but there's a real like finesse in being able to make a really beautiful product both from a packaging perspective but also the ingredients that you put in there so yeah I actually think they're better um 
although you know kitchen kitchen made is always like some some of the best stuff that you get out of the kitchen it is really special but it it makes sense that as the brand grows and as you have more people joining you you have the resources and the bandwidth to improve upon what you already have so is it just you doing the recipe development or do you have like a team or how does that work um so for the first couple of years um so we're in our fifth year now but uh for the first couple of years it was me doing all the product development so we've still got the blender that I had when I was making all the products really? at Mulberry Street, which I'm <laughs> actually it, quite this, attached to. Is it still working too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still working. I mean, we, we do use it for all our product development and it's, um, yeah, like, quite funny actually. I think people expect it to be way more tech technical when it comes to at least developing in those initial stages but it's not well it's like the magic of the juju of how the company started yeah, so you gotta keep that gotta keep it yeah. um but i do have now some support so we've got um sort of sophia who runs our kind of mpd new product development who may basically just keeps it running to time because um i tend to find my i end up running here there and everywhere and it's difficult to kind of keep focus on it but every product that ends up on shelf is something that I've tried and tested and tweaked and played with um, to kind of make sure it kind of hits the same standard as what we've already got. So, but I love the product development. Like it really is like one of the best feelings creating like a really good quality product that you then see people um, love. Like there's something so beautiful about that. Yeah. So you have eight different... Yeah, eight yeah. different flavors. Okay. Peanut butters with so crunchy and smooth, and yeah. then also maple variety. Yeah. You have almond butters, crunchy, smooth. Yeah. Coconut almond yeah. butter, which I think might be my personal yeah, favorite. It's so good. You have a honey almond butter, yeah. and then you have a really fun chocolate orange yeah. almond butter. Yeah. And that's the newest flavor, right? Yeah. So we have a limited edition that we rotate every sort of nine months or so. Um, so our current version is a sort of chocolate orange almond butter which genuinely tastes like a melted down yes. um terry's chocolate orange oh um, yeah oh my god it so totally good. does yeah it's, it's really surprising how well like the flavor of orange like runs through that whole product um and it was actually really po- popular kind of christmas stocking filler um it, it sold really well during christmas this year so yeah I, we try and keep um particularly our limited edition as like something which we can really kind of push the boundaries of what I guess people would expect from a nut butter um and it keeps I think our range really fresh um it means that we've always got something new to talk about um but also from a creative perspective like it kind of um kind of allows me to scratch that itch that I have with playing around with new ingredients because you know the 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 core products that we have that that are permanent are brilliant but there's always something new that I want to test out and play with so yeah it gives us a bit of um fun freedom to be able to do that I love how you are drawing the line between being an entrepreneur and being a creative person because I think some people can see those things as mutually exclusive identities kind of um but I love that you have found ways to weave them in together Mm. what has been the biggest challenge for you in putting those two things together um I think for me it's like I think so I'm a sole founder so it does mean that I end up having to cover the whole business often if you've got a co-founder you might split say operations and finance and back back of the business and you might then the other founder does sales and marketing I think having that um, more holistic view is great because it means you really do understand how everything's running together the downside of it I think is that particularly when I'm focusing on like operational staff so manufacturers or cash flow banks 
all that stuff that keeps the business like functioning and running like the basically it's the spine of the business um they're slightly more functional in the way that you have to think about them so you have to I often find that if I spend too long thinking about say a manufacturing contract it's really hard to to switch my brain into something like creative like let's come up with an exciting campaign that we're going to run in you know the autumn from a brand perspective because your head is so stuck in something that is very kind of structured when it comes to that side of the business so I think my my hardest thing is carving out the time and the space to be able to give yourself room to think about those things because I don't think you can force creativity I think um you know the best stuff comes from when you you've probably come away from your desk and you've actually had chance to like reflect and observe a bit more which doesn't necessarily feel like you're doing work but it's the stuff that brings the brand to life and makes it feel and have emotion and you know the stuff that really makes it stand out from the crowd so yeah I think it's that kind of almost um kind of bipolar nature of my job it's quite different and you kind of have to kind of make sure you don't completely crowd your brain with just like operational day-to-day kind of stuff which could take over right well to your point also about making the brand stand out with with the other things when you think outside the box like the whole squirrel theme you have with (laughs) Pippa is so fun yeah and and it's all over the place in your office. I mean, I'm looking at a sign right now that says, do feed the squirrels. Yeah. And it's really fun. And you have squirrel paw prints, like walking, you know, on the floor. So that the, those are the kinds of things that make a brand come to life. Mm. Do you come up with those kind of fun things? Or do you have a team at this point who kind of does that? So we, we do work with an amazing creative agency who we worked with from day one, who, um, essentially created created our identity um but it's very like a um a relationship where you kind of are constantly feeding into it and evolving the brand and actually one of the things that I've enjoyed actually as the brand's grown is that you obviously start out with an, an identity a logo and that's your kind of first mark of what the brand looks and stands for and and from that you end up evolving more of a brand world and that comes through when you run you know do different projects so we've got a cookbook as an example which allowed us to expand our kind of assets and ways that we talk and look and feel of the brand right the way through to when you do big experiential um, events and stuff like that where you're actually got a physical presence and um, actually building that brand world is really difficult to make sure that you keep the balance of making sure that you're really connecting with kind of the essence of what your your brand is and um yeah don't try and pull in too many different kind of fragmented ideas about you know about it but I do think um our brand has such a playfulness to it the squirrel actually in our logo I I actually nickname as Cyril uh, the squirrel (laughs) and um yeah it allows us to have a real kind of identity and kind of character just in him um and and yeah we play around with things like for instance whenever we send buyers samples um when we're like pitching in to kind of win listings um we've got these amazing carry cases boxes which are essentially like pet carry boxes like they're cardboard with like holes in them so that they have air holes and um on the on the side of the box says like may contain squirrels and it's like a stamp um, <laughs> and genuinely people get worried that they contain live animals oh um, my gosh. so on some occasions the postman in some of the kind of big offices uh, like, like Tesco have actually stopped um, the products getting to the buyer because they're worried about what's inside so it's that sort of stuff which I like really get a kick out of because they're really like creative twists on something and how you can really use design to be able to um, 
actually do something quite commercial which is get the attention of a buyer um so yeah i think the power of like design and creativity should never be underestimated because um it's it's so hard to kind of come up with some of those like, like really quirky ideas and i think that's um working with great creatives to be able to kind of like come up with stuff that really feels unique yeah and it totally differentiates you mm. and i read that you guys are one of the fastest growing nut butter brands in the uk mm-hmm. period or it actually may be beyond the uk because pippa nut has expanded far beyond the uk right i mean you yeah. guys are in ireland the netherlands norway cyprus <laughs> and iceland and yep. I mean, how did you decide which other countries to expand to and what's next? So I think um, Europe's a good one for like knowing that, it, I mean, it is on our doorstep and it's easier for us to get to. But I think, for instance, we look at like key markets. Um, I guess we have a bit of a checklist as what we look for. But, you know, somewhere like Ireland, which obviously is just a stone's throw from the UK, but is a completely different country in its own right. So it should be treated as such. Like, you know, you look for kind of, do they have a similar kind of health uh, perception? You know, in the UK, we've got a real kind of health trend bubbling through, like um, in terms of more and more people are becoming healthier and more aware of what they're eating you know are those sorts of similar trends happening in other territories around Europe um what is the kind of nut butter peanut butter scene like in those different countries and if there is like an opportunity to disrupt a category so if it's existing but there isn't yet like a a brand like Pippa Nut in that space and that for us is a, a good tick and sign to be able to kind of say like yeah I think this this there's opportunity here so I think it it's actually really difficult to kind of necessarily find the right markets but I think even more hard is trying to find the right partners to kind of launch the brand in those markets so we work with um, distributors and things like that to help kind of bring the brand um, to life in store and um, finding those people that really understand what you're about is is actually really really the, the hard thing about the whole whole thing but um, yeah what's next I mean f- for us actually to be honest our expansion across Europe is is um is is a focus for us but the uk is like there's so much opportunity even just within our our home country and you know even looking at innovation and different products that we want to launch you know there's a lot next that's coming out this year that um is gonna take a lot of our attention which we're really excited about so yeah it's, it's difficult balancing i think the amount of stuff that you could go after and then making sure you execute the stuff that you do do really well yeah and you do do a lot i mean have we even talked about the um milks that you guys do because you also do nut milk yeah yeah we do nut milk so um that launched uh, sort of a year and a half ago now um so for us when we look at kind of innovation and like how we can expand nuts is a real core of everything that we're going to do obviously it's in our name but um it's also been our first product has been like a really kind of rich richly nutty product um so for us innovation how we can expand out into other categories like nut milks um is kind of part of our kind of future sort of pipeline have you had people have you had any pushback in terms of I mean in every single food these days I think you can say like oh it's not sustainable it's not whatever have you had people pushing back about nuts and like the environment yeah I mean it does get picked up obviously um in California um particularly like almonds you know they've had drought out there and they have to really kind of 
Um, they often have to water the plants in order to, the trees in order to um, ensure that the crop is a good yield every year. Um, and for us, I think it's about making sure that um, we're responsible in the way that we a source. So we work with kind of really good quality suppliers, um, but also that we kind of focus on making sure that when we are buying what we are buying, there's minimal wastage and that we're being really effective. Um, but when, particularly when it comes to things like nut milks, you know, I think. Um, Sustainability is sort of a bigger challenge. So, you know, carbon footprint and looking at how, as a business, your your whole product portfolio and your kind of carbon footprint, and that is looking at not just, you know, your raw materials, but your packaging, your how you get things from A to B. I think, for me, sustainability and, like, how your business kind of makes sure it doesn't leave things better than it started is more about looking at the whole business as a whole so for instance we're working on becoming a b corp at the moment which we should close off by april time hopefully get the certification and that is all about focusing about how you make sure that from a supply chain perspective you're continually improving and making your environmental impact as minimal as possible um as well as ensuring that things like the people and the way that you work um so that you treat you know your employees well but also your suppliers well so yeah I think it is something that we're aware of and we obviously can um, as we creep further into our supply chain we can look at ways of kind of supporting our suppliers to make sure they're being as environmentally um, sustainable as possible but I think as a business we have a wider responsibility across everything that we do that we're being um, conscious of um, the impact that we have so yeah I think like any kind of industry you always need to strive to improve it you know look at chocolate industry they um 10 years ago had hugely corrupt um supply chain where they didn't play their workers enough and that kicked off a massive fair trade movement which now is you know the standard across supermarket brands and all brands to have fair trade chocolate so i think most things including say almonds is on a path to kind of work on how you can make sure you do good essentially right so it sounds like it is top of mind all of these yeah. things are top of mind as you move forward yeah definitely i think because a brand like ours um where people are picking it up because they probably are a little bit more conscious of what they're buying i think i have even more expectations that you should be paying attention to this stuff so and actually it's super interesting it's a massive learning curve for me i mean we, we are a really small team so you know we're learning this as well um but it is fundamentally so important and i think it's going to only accelerate this kind of uh, more conscious consumption um which i think we're seeing more and more of in kind of the supermarket at least conscious consumption yeah i I love that how many people are on your team now? So there's 12 of us in the 12. team. 12, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have to tell you that, so I moved here from New York City oh, almost cool. two years ago where, you know, Justin's almond butter, oh, yeah. Justin's almond butter was like my thing. So I moved to London <laughs> and was like, what's going to be my next? Like, where am I going to get, get this? And Pip and Nut is what I first, re- well, actually, that's not true. I did like little taste tests, but... Pip and Nut has been my go-to brand in London. Excellent. So thank you. I'm <laughs> thrilled to have the chance to talk to you about how it began. And I am personally a fan. How do you keep it quirky in your life or in your office? How does Pippa Murray keep it quirky? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the fact that um, having a startup, I think, allows you a lot of freedom and flex to kind of do things a bit differently and generally um, go against the grain. So 
for me, if I think about, say, from a work perspective um, and how, as a brand, we kind of make sure that we um, really kind of have fun on a day-to-day basis... I think it's firstly about um, ensuring that you have a, like a really relaxed environment to work in. So I think the space, like we mentioned earlier, is like a super important thing, like making sure that you've got open plan office where people can talk to each other. It's a super flat structure. You know, the fact that we've got a dog running around, I think helps and enhances totally. and, <laughs> and throws some people off when they come in for interviews and they see a dog sitting next to them whilst they're also trying to, you know, sell themselves, which I enjoy <laughs> quite a lot. Um, but I think personally as well, like I think... Um, For me, like, whilst I am kind of a bit of a fickler for a routine, um, I do do really love the fact that on a day-to-day basis you can kind of choose what you do. Um, So so for me, like, if it means... um, you know, if I'm trying to come up with the next kind of product innovation, as an example, if it means kind of going out and working from a really great cafe in East London and um, immersing myself in that sort of world or going to a gallery because that's a good source of inspiration. I think it is about, um, particularly when you're trying to think of the next thing, um, getting away from your desk and going into kind of, I guess, taking a step back and going to the places which I, you know, found a source of inspiration when I was starting up. So going to markets, you know, doing a sampling in Whole Foods to talk to shoppers um, or just, you know, general people that are are interested in the brand. I think that sort of thing, like, keeps me fresh and reminds me why I'm doing it as well. Um, Because sometimes, you know, you have a bad week and it's pretty hard to kind of sometimes feel, you know, like, you feel like it's all, all crowding in on you. So it's, I think, really important to get that headspace. Yeah, I I love that. I totally agree. And this also reminds me of I read that um, you have like a rule of sorts here that you can't eat lunch at your desk. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of an unspoken rule, but at 1 p.m. pretty much everyone um, drops what they're doing and we have like a really nice kitchen and um, a big long table, which everyone has lunch together. I think if you're like a food brand, you've got to have like moments where food is genuinely enjoyed. So we offer like free breakfast in the morning and do cook offs on Friday. I think it should be like part of like your DNA. Um, and yeah, eating a lunch at your desk is just so crap. Um, everyone should have a break an hour. It's just keep be like there's no nobody's so busy that you can't stop. I mean, and it's ridiculous when people say that they didn't have time for lunch. I know. I I love that. I love that that is the case here. I yeah. feel like it should be a law. Yeah. No, hundred <laughs> Where can people find Pippa Nut if they don't know? So um, we're in all sort of major supermarkets now. So uh, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Asda but um, any good deli as well in London and further afield. Um, and obviously if you're in you know, the lights of Ireland and things like that, find us in most supermarkets there as well. Is it possible for any listeners in America to get Pippin Nut like sent over or do they just have to come this way to They're going to have to come this way. We are working on a, um, a better kind of uh, web shop. So watch the space or maybe Amazon. Maybe you could find it on Amazon and get it over to US. Okay, cool. Watch the space and that <laughs> space could also be following you guys on Instagram, right? Yeah, at Pippin Nut. Nice. Cool. Peppa Murray, thank you so much for coming on the Keep It Quirky podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Pippa and her dog, Charlie, who was really good throughout the whole thing. You couldn't, he forgot he was there, didn't you? If you enjoy this show, please take a moment to rate it on the iTunes store. 
And it's not too late to sign up for the QKD newsletter so you can get updates on not only all of the podcast news and information, but also all of my video content and other interesting things around the interwebs. As always, a big thanks to Funky Brian for the theme song. I'll see you all back here next week. In the meantime, don't forget to keep it quirky. Thank you.